Hey, hey, are you curious about what it's like to coach with me? If so, you're in for a treat because in this special episode, we're giving you an exclusive behind the scenes look. This episode will provide you with practical tips and strategies to overcome the most frequently asked questions and challenges that digital CEOs are facing as they're growing and scaling their online coaching business. This is your chance to peek behind the curtain and see how powerful coaching can be. Let's jump into today's episode. Should clients buy one-time sessions before long programs to qualify them for longer coaching? That is a way to qualify a lead. I don't think it's the only way to qualify a lead. When it comes to qualifying leads, if you feel as if you need to have somebody do a one-off session before you know whether or not they're a good fit for your bigger program, you probably have a massive opportunity to start better, one, actually knowing how to articulate what qualifies a lead. Because I'm guessing right now, if you do not know how to clearly articulate whether or not a lead is qualified, and the only way for you to know if somebody's qualified is if you have a full-on conversation with them, you know, it's more intuitive, or maybe it's like, oh, I'll know it when I hear them say something. That's an opportunity that you have to get better at really understanding the qualifier so that you can better articulate it and better screen for it in advance. So that's like one thing there. But I don't think, like, we don't have people do a a paid session before we make them, before we qualify them. Like my content is always, the messaging that I include in my content is always pre-qualifying leads before they ever even apply for the program. And then when somebody applies for the program, we have an application process that allows us to screen um, and determine whether or not we can even help the person, whether or not we can solve their problem and whether or not they're a good fit. And then after the application process is when you have a conversation. That conversation could take place via direct message. That conversation could take place on a sales call. Um, But we have that conversation to do to really lead the client into making a buying decision. That's kind of like the last step of the process. So, you know, there's more than one way to qualify a lead. um, But I, I do not believe that you have to sell something cheaper in order to convince somebody to buy something more expensive. I just don't believe that. Like, I'd I'd say maybe 20% of our clients, I want to say it's 20% of our clients bought something else of mine before they invested in leverage. And they usually either attended an in-person event or they attended a workshop. But like 75% of my clients did not buy a smaller product before they made the investment into my larger program, which leverages, you know, between $15,000 and $18,000. So like, I think a lot of the time, if you think that you need to sell something, sell something smaller to somebody to get them to be ready to buy something bigger, there's probably just a gap or a disconnect in the quality of your messaging and, and the consistency of your messaging. If your messaging is properly aligned with the sophistication of how that buyer is making a buying decision and whether or not you know how to clearly articulate the value of your offer and also know how to clearly articulate what qualifies and what disqualifies a lead. There's probably a disconnect in the qualification process and in your messaging more than anything else. So that's what I would say there. Because the reason why I'm not a fan of like, sell somebody a a $300 one hour consultancy call before investing in like your $5,000 program is you're marketing to two different people. You're literally marketing to two different people. The person that wants um, a one hour session for 300 bucks is a totally different a totally different buyer than somebody who wants to pay whatever to get the full problem solved. You cannot solve 
any sophisticated problem in 30 minutes. Like for most people, you can, it, it takes longer to solve the problem. So it, you're now, you're not putting yourself in a position where if 80% of your marketing is to get people on this one hour call, it's a totally different value proposition. It's a totally different program promise. It's a totally different price point. It's a totally different perspective of the psychology of what the buyer is going through to make that buying decision than if you were marketing the other thing. So what ends up happening sometimes is that you end up attracting a bunch of people who barely even want to pay for the one hour session, but are not really the most qualified or the most ideal for the bigger program that you want to sell anyway. So it ends up like your marketing ends up confusing your audience and it also ends up attracting inaccurate qualified leads. It ends up attracting an audience that you really don't want that really doesn't convert down the line. That is true in most areas of context for people who are listening to this. Now, the context where that might not be true is if your data is telling you something different. Now, if you go look at your data and historically over the last two years, 70% of the people who buy your longer program bought some one-hour session in advance, then now your data is telling a different story, I would give you a different answer. But for the vast majority of people who are making, I would say, less than a million dollars a year, the context of what I just shared is, like, I would put money behind it. Like, that's what I would say is true for most people in most contexts. Especially if the offer that's longer term has not been, like, it's something that you haven't been selling for a long time. So if that longer offer, if you haven't, like, relaunched that five, six times, people know you for it, like, that's what you're known for, you're probably confusing your audience by trying to sell them a one-hour session. If your goal ultimately is to get them into your bigger program. Great question. Yeah, I learned the lesson too because I've I've done that before. In the, be in the beginning of my business, that's what I thought I had to do. But a lot of that thought was because I lacked the confidence. I did not believe that somebody would pay me four figures. I didn't believe it. So I just didn't offer it. Because I didn't believe in the offer, I didn't I didn't sell it. And I I adjusted my offers to where my confidence level was, which is you which my confidence level wasn't high. So it, it it did not work out in my favor. I was setting myself up to fail before I even started because I didn't believe, I literally did not believe that somebody would pay me $3,000 for a three-month package. I didn't believe it, so I didn't offer it. And then I just offered what, I started projecting my limiting money beliefs onto my prospects. I'm like, oh, there's no way they'll pay that much, so I'm just not even gonna, I'm not even gonna give, I'm not gonna put myself in the position where I can get rejected. Because I didn't believe I could do it. I didn't believe somebody else would pay it. And a lot of the time, that's what we do. I can say for every single person listening to this, you're not charging enough. You're not charging enough. And, I, and I'm saying that from the sense of, for most of us, we under, we, we lack the belief in what somebody's willing to pay us. So we just don't offer it. We just don't offer it. Like, I have a question for you guys in the comments, okay? Let me know. When you go to an event, when you go to a concert, when you go to a workshop, like when you go to whatever, are you the person that always upgrades to VIP? Yes or no? Like just off of principle of who you are, are you the person that if you get presented with two options of a standard ticket or a VIP ticket, more often than not, are you the person that always upgrades? Just let me know in the comments. Yes or no? Are you the person that typically upgrades? And there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just curious to know where you're at. Like if you're on a plane, if you're in a position, you're like, yes, I'm going to upgrade to economy plus or business class. 
Uh, if you go to a concert, are you like, I'm, I'm definitely going to try to get the VIP ticket. Diamonds are the hardly ever. Okay. No, no. I see some yeses. Definitely. Okay. The reason why I'm asking this is because when you look at your offer suite right now, is there a VIP option? Is there, Josie, I already know. Josie, I ain't even got to ask you. Josie don't even look at the standard ticket. Josie's like, if there's not a VIP option, I'm not going. <laughs> like, Josie's like, ah, if there's not, you know, if there ain't no rope off for me, girl, I ain't even trying to be in that room. If VIP don't exist, I ain't trying to go. That's Josie, okay? But the reason why I ask is because if you look at your business model, is there a VIP option that is currently offered? An option that either gives more access, more exclusivity, better seating, uh, priority status. Like, is there a VIP option? And this is something that took me longer to realize the value of because I had to overcome my own, at a, at a different stage of my life, I didn't have the resources to even experience VIP. So I didn't really understand why people made that buying decision until my life changed. When I was 19 years old, Okay, y'all, I'm about to put myself on blast. I'm going to tell y'all something, but I don't want y'all to judge me for it, okay? I was 19, 20 years old. I just need to know, is this a safe space for me? I'm going to tell y'all something <laughs> that I really hope that you don't judge me for. I need some verbal confirmation before I start telling my business because I might I might lose some followers on this one. I don't, I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly on Instagram before. I do not, I do not know. When I was 19... And 20 years old. This is why I don't really drink today. Have y'all ever, y'all have been to the club before, right? I was employed by the owner of the club. And my job was to get men to buy me drinks. That was the whole reason that I was there. I was there. I could bring my friends. We would get cute. And oh, girl, I'm eating Chick fil A. Chick fil A. This is the Tesla Talk Chick fil A lunch hour break, okay? And I'm giving y'all my tea. So when I was 19, 20 years old, I was employed by the club owner in downtown Detroit. And my own, my job, I got paid like $300 a night, $400 a night. My job was to get men to buy me drinks. But when the men would buy me drinks, they would give me juice. So if they, if I, if a guy bought me like a shot of vodka, it'd be water in the shot glass. If the margin, like the margins on like bottles of alcohol were already high. So if I got them to buy me bottles of like, you know, a bottle of whatever, that was real. But any mixed drink, cocktail, mojito, shots, they would put juice or water in my drink so that, you know, now this dude paid $18 for a drink, but I just got some water. Listen, Josie, he knew his Olympian, okay? I was young. My hair was like blind. My hair, my curls, you know, I looked, all, well, you know, you know, I, I had a good old time and I could bring my friends like it was the best, it was one of the best jobs that, but that job taught me really, you know, I would be around professional athletes, basketball players, football players, baseball players, musicians, like it didn't matter. Cause I was like the VIP girl. We would just be there to kind of, you know, my job was just to create ambiance. It's like, oh, there's pretty girls in this club. Bet. I definitely, you know, I, I knew what I was doing, but it taught me game. It taught me so much game. One, these niggas ain't shit. I'm going to say that. <laughs> Let me just get that out the way. I'm I'm grown now, but niggas ain't real out here. But the second thing that it taught me, like it taught me two lenses of the scope. There was one lens of the scope is that you watch these like 
NFL players, NBA players. Like you see how much attention you really need to give a woman to get them in the car and get them home. It don't take that much. It's really sad. But in that time, you so I got to learn game from like how men move and how men of status move and how people treat people who have more money or more perception. But the second thing is that I'm like, these dudes are willing to pay $500 just to have a booth. Then they got to buy bottles. I'm like, people dropping two, three, $5,000 on a weekend for status. The night lasts three hours. They came to the club at 12 o'clock. We close at two, like for two hours of your time because you wanted to like hold the bottles up. You wanted to feel good because the girls was around you. You wanted to feel yourself because you had a booth for the night. You here for two, two and a half hours and you just spent three, four thousand dollars. That taught me game. I was like, oh, bet. People are willing to pay a premium to have that exclusive experience. To me, the math ain't mathing. I did not buy my first alcoholic drink for myself until I was 27 years old. That was like, I was like, people are spending $15, $18, $20 to buy a glass of alcohol. Y'all have lost your mind. That was a form of privilege I had had, okay? I, I ain't gonna lie because, you know, I lived in a different, whatever. But I say all that to say is like, if that is true in a club on a Friday night, this ain't even value. The night ends. Like, you you in here for two hours, you didn't spend thousands of dollars for status, for exclusivity, to feel like the man for the night. We all need to be offering our clients VIP access. Everybody in the club ain't gonna upgrade, but I guarantee you 10% of them will. 10% of your client roster right now is willing to pay more than double what they are currently paying if you gave them a VIP option. That's all I'm saying. Don't judge me out here now, y'all. I did that job for two summers. I was in college. And after the second summer, I just felt so bad. I'm like, I am lying to people. <laughs> These men really think that one, they have a chance and they don't. I never gave out my real phone number. I never went home with nobody. And I wasn't even drinking the alcohol they gave, they bought. I just felt so terrible after the second summer. But experiences like that are why I became a business owner. Because I was like, I'm making two, $300 to be at the club for two or three hours. Like, I, one thing I'll say is like, your girl has been selling for forever. I have always been in sales. I don't care if it was an official W-2 job or if I was paid under the table like I was at the club. I have always been in sales and I have always um, been in a position where I had to learn the psychology of the consumer that I was around. That was one of my first sales jobs. Shit, while well, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> really think about it. That was one of my first sales jobs. I had two hours to prospect, qualify, prime, and close the deal. Quasi. So y'all, that was my life. 19 and 20 years old. Don't make no sense. But I think that's why I really don't drink. Like, I might have a glass of wine two or three times out the year. But I've never been a heavy... Like, I drank when I was 19 and 20, and after that, I was done. Like, I think it was really because I being around that environment... So often, I mean, you just see some crazy stuff. I'm like, I just can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not about that life. I don't know how you're productive. I just, I can't do it. So that's why I really, I'm not really a drinker. I'll drink some good wine though. Like if you take me to Italy, I'm going to get me a glass because it's Italy. But like me just like taking shots of syrup, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm just, I, that, that stopped like before I was 21. 
So y'all, that was my, that was my business. I do not like how it makes me feel either. Like, I don't know what it is. I just can't, my body just, I don't know. I had two crazy summers, 19 and 20. It might have been 20 and 21. And that was it. I was done. I'm like, I've partied enough in these two years for a lifetime. Like, I'm, I'm, I ain't hot, I ain't, I was hot girl summer for two summers and that's it. And then I, I've been in hibernation mode ever since. And I'm like, take me to a lounge. Take me to a, take me somewhere else. I can't go to no club. I mean, I can go to a club, but I can't, you know, like I can't do what, if there ain't a place for me to sit down, I can't go. Like if I got to stand the whole time, I need a, I need a booth, a chair or something. Like I, I got to sit down somewhere. You know, I, I just, it ain't for me. It's not for me. Like if you want to do a round of shots back to back, I can't, I'm not, it's not for me. Or shoot, I might pull a okie doke on you. Next time you give me a shot, girl, might be some water up in there. <laughs> Mm-mm. But the moral of the story, why well, I need a place to sit down. Yes, Tiffany. Now I will say, a client and friend of mine invited me to her 40th birthday party last month. That was the most dancing I have done since I was in college. It was lit. Like she threw this elaborate 40th birthday party. It was so much fun. I mean, my titties were sweating. Okay. I ain't even got like big girls up top. My titties were sweating. That is like how much I was dancing. I had to go change my shoes. Like after dancing, I have not danced in four, three and a half inch heels since I was in college. I was like, oh, so this is what 40 looks like? Bet. Like, this was the most lit experience. Listen, I forgot what that type of moisture even feel like. Like, I just, I didn't, I forgot that I could sweat in certain areas. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's been a long time since this has happened, child. Uh-uh. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. So, y'all. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, the moral of the story is that many of us have the opportunity to offer VIP, but we're just not selling it. We're not creating a VIP opportunity for our clients, which is why like, they're literally 10% of your existing audience are, is willing to pay you more than double what they're currently paying you. If you give them the option and deliver on the option, you also need to deliver on the option. It can't be, here's a VIP ticket and it's the same experience as if you would have just came into the club at, at 10 o'clock for free. Who can't be that? But I've been learning and quite honestly, like, the more people pay, the more they pay attention. Like, I will go to bat for a client who is, like, this is something, if you're ever in a coaching program, which I imagine a lot of you guys have joined coaching programs, but if you're ever in a group program, be the student that sits in the front row. Like, be the student that comes to class, camera on, does their homework, is, like, raising their hand, like, submits their homework. Like, be the A student. Be the student that sits in the front row. And the reason why I say this, this is something that, especially if the group is larger and you really, it, it's either crazy expensive to get access to the creator or they, maybe they don't even offer that level of access to them. The way that you can stand out in those group programs is if you show up. You, like, and the coaches, the staff of a coaching program is just like in school. The clients that pay the most attention get the most attention. Like in college. My teacher didn't pay everybody no mind. They paid me mine because I was paying mine. I was showing up to class. I was going to office hours. I was helping other students in the class. Like I was a star student. I always sat in the front row. I don't care if I got a dumb question. I'm here to learn. Like I took advantage of the opportunity. 
And too many of us join, join group coaching programs waiting for somebody to save us. No, you need to stop waiting to be saved and you need to start figuring out how can I be the star of this class? How can I make sure that every single person that's in this class knows who I am and what I do? Like, if you really think about how do you grow? So many of my opportunities have came because, because of that type of behavior. A lot of the friends I have today are people that I met inside of group coaching programs because I was proactive. I was saying, hey, I see you're also a star student. You want to meet for a Zoom call next week? Coffee chat? My Some of my business besties, that's how I met. Because I wanted to play with the other A players. I wanted to be around the other star students. I'm like, these people is hungry. I don't care how much money they make right now. I can tell they'll, they'll make more money than anybody else in this room because they hungry. They is hungry. They are here to learn. They are applying what they are learning. They are positive in their thinking. They are, you know, supportive of the people around and they are cheerleading other people on. Like if you are in a group program and you want more and you didn't pay for more private access, the way to get attention is to be the student that pays attention. Like that when you learn something, you apply with such speed and then you report back your lessons learned. You can't, you, you want to hang around the winners. So like when I think about VIP, even if you didn't pay for the access, man, if you always showing up, make yourself where you are. It's un, it's, it's impossible to not recognize you. It's impossible to not know who you are, to not, to not, you know, see you in the room because you keep showing up. You keep helping other people. Your coach will go to bat for you. And I think about my clients and I think about Josie and Lisa and Kimmy and Zakia and you know, I think about clients who, whose names are always at the top of the chart of engaging in the group, showing up to calls, being generous to other clients. I have given so many one-off, one-on-one calls to those types of clients because I'm like, man, I want you to win. I want you to win because you want to win. I can tell that you want to win. I can tell that you are hungry. You reward that behavior because I want to help people who want to help themselves. I don't want to have to help people that I have to force to want this for themselves because I can't help that. You can't help somebody who don't want to save themselves. You can't. No matter how much you want it for them, you cannot You cannot want somebody's success more than they want it for themselves. But I will say, in every group program I've been in, the creator knew who I was because you're not going to who, know who I am because I'm here to win and I will win. And every time I've done that, it's always paid dividends for me. I've always gotten more access, gotten more attention. I've gotten invited to different events. I've been invited to speak on their podcast or on their live stream or on their account because I, you know, I got included in their marketing material because it's like, you know, that's free promotion. Shoot, might as well. Like, because I was that type of student. So if you're in a group program, pay attention to what your participation is like. If you're like, man, I I want more, you need to give more, do more, show up more. Like, be the student that sits in the front row. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's just good to, like, it's just good to have. Like, the more that I've grown, and now that I go to these events and you see these speakers, it's like, how do those speakers get selected? Because of personal relationships. Most of the events in our industry, you can't speak on somebody's stage unless they know you. Or unless somebody they know referred you. A lot of these events that you guys, like we go to, they're not, you can't like pitch yourself to be, you know, on the stage. A lot of the time that the people that speak on their stages are people who are in their mastermind. The people who speak on the stages are their best students. The people who speak on the stage are peers, personal relationships, personal connections. 
And it's like, if you ever have this desire to like, man, I want to speak at this event or speak at that event. I want to be on those big stages with those big names. That's one of the ways to do it. Like, how do you make yourself known? Literally, one of the ways to do that is like, if you're somebody that you admire, go join their coaching program and then go be the best student that they've ever had. Get the best results that any of their clients have ever gotten. They can't not notice you. Like, if there's somebody that you really admire, go join their program and outperform all their other students. Be the best client case study they've ever had. They can't not notice you. They have to notice you. Shit, you, you won. And anybody who's a mentor, who's a coach, they want to see people winning. Like, I hate it when my clients don't get the results. And not because it does something to my ego. It's because I want you to win. Like, I wouldn't be a coach if I didn't want my players to win. Like, that that's like ass backwards. Like, I think sometimes as coaches, we forget our role in the, in the, in the life of the clients that we serve. As a coach, part of the way that I view myself is that all my clients are part of my team. All of my clients, as a coach, like, this is my franchise. You know, there's the Los Angeles Lakers. There's the, you know, the Clippers. There's, you know, Golden State Warriors. There's the Detroit Lions. You know, those are teams. There's a coach and there's a team. Shit, I don't know what we are. We the Hall Custlers or somebody. I don't know. So I'm the coach and all of my clients are the players. And it's like your, your coaching program, your client roster collective is only as good as the weakest link on the team. It's not just about the best. Every coaching program is going to have their star player. So in every coaching program, there's going to be a LeBron. There's going to be a Michael. You know, there's going to be a Steph Curry. Like every coaching program, there's going to be a star player. But the best teams don't just focus on shining the light on one player. In order to win ring after ring after ring, you have to have a roster of solid players. Because there's no team that one person takes a per- takes that team to the championship year after year and wins a ring. You have to have a full team. So if you think about the Bulls in the 90s, I love, I love using this analogy. It was Michael Jordan, Scottie Pittman, Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman. You had to have all these star players. And the bench was just a, the shit. The bench was better than other people starting five. So as a coach, start looking at your clients as your team. As a collective, as a team, how well are y'all winning? How well is the collective of your client roster? How well are they getting the client results? How long does it take them to win? What are y'all stats? Like one thing that we used to do in leverage, we probably need to get back to doing it, is every month when clients would submit their lean launch data, I would publish a post of like, what was the collective effort of all the people that had a lean launch that month? How much money did they make? What were their sales call conversion rates? As a collective, where do we need to perform better? And I loved doing that because it's like you can, there is always a lesson learned in the collective. As a group, we're performing at 30% conversion rates. What's happening here? And it's like, okay, well, how do I improve the average of the roster that I have on my team? I need to maybe do a better job of of pre-qualifying talent before we include somebody on the team. I need to be a better coach. We got to run better drills. We got to do better training sessions. Like, you know, like what, what is happening? And I think that that is a way to kind of think about it as you're growing your business and growing your client roster is like, you know, one, as you are a student on somebody's team, one, do you even feel like you're part of a team? Like, are you even on a team that has an active coach? But two, what is your participation on the team? 
How are you showing? Are you even going to practice? Period. There's a lot of people out here not getting the results they want because y'all not even going to practice. Y'all not even coming to the coaching calls. So how 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 are how do you expect that you're gonna get better if you're not watching your tapes? You're not re rewatching the replays of your sales calls. You're not watching and studying the training that you pay to get access to. You're not coming to the coaching calls, coming to live practice. You get what I'm saying? So it's like, how do you expect, just because you got on the team don't mean you win a ring? Like, you got to do the work. And what type of player, what type of client are you? And then on the flip side, as a coach of this team, what is the, what is the culture that you're creating on this team? What is the infrastructure that you're building to make this team sustainable, to help this team grow? How are you investing in the team? How are you shining light on, you know, reinforcing good behavior of your mate, of your team? All that stuff matters. All that stuff matters. That was a really good analogy. I'm gonna have to give myself that one. I ain't never thought about it. That was a really good analogy. But y'all, that's really all I got today. Y'all know I like cooking it with y'all when I go to Chick-fil-A. I'm about to get out of here, go back in the house and get to work. Uh, but you guys have a great rest of your day. Thanks for hanging out with me and I'll talk to you later.